Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I am so excited to introduce you to one of my very, very longtime friends, Catherine Lewis. Well, her name is really Catherine Henneke, but I told her in this episode, I'll never be able to call her that. She'll always be Catherine Lewis to me. Um, this one is super fun. Catherine and I met while doing missions trips. So we both worked for an organization that did trips in the summer to underprivileged areas, cities all around America. And we spent some time together in Baltimore, in Mississippi, in Denver, leading trips together. We got super close, super fast. This is a really funny episode because we just share a ton of stories of our time in all of those different places and just like ridiculous, crazy things that happened to us. Um, Catherine will always have a very special place in Scott and I's relationship because you'll hear on this episode how Catherine was with us on our first date. So that's a funny story as well. There's just like so many good, ridiculous things here that we chat about. We just like we're very entertaining to ourselves while we were recording this. And I think you guys will be entertained as well. But then we also get into a really good conversation just about missions in general and how it can go like really wrong and how it can go right and just different attitudes and just experiences we had with people. And there's just so much there that we learned and we reflect upon it. And I just think it's a really fun episode and you're going to really enjoy it. So stay tuned. Welcome to So What Else, finally. Hi, Caitlin. I'm so excited to join you today. Yay. So back in like what? Season something finale, which makes no sense. I have to address that in a second because we don't do seasons anymore. But Scott and I said, like, I was like, I want Catherine to come on. Catherine, you have to come on. I like shouted it out or whatever. And now here you are. Finally, I got you. Here I am. Yes. It's it's taken me a while, but had a little baby and now he's bigger. So that's a lot helpful. You have two boys. How old? Yes. Yeah. I have a three-year-old boy, Joel, and a 17-month-old Paul. The fun thing about Joel, though, is him and Emerson, like, right, are like two weeks apart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. They're like right at the same age. And God bless you for having a younger one as well. But yeah. listen, in my mind, like at the top of the notes, I think, for this interview, I put Catherine Lewis. How do you even say your last name? Henneke. Henneke. I'll never, ever, ever think of you as Catherine Henneke, ever. You'll always be Catherine Lewis. I am 100% positive that I'm in your phone as Catherine Lewis and you're in my phone as Caitlin Chicola. 100%. And will never change. I just, I love that though. Like those friends that only think of you like in terms of your maiden name. I mean, it's just like, that's, those are like those real deep friendships. Yeah, they know the the OG. The yeah. OG, absolutely. Yeah. And like you are probably one of my most unique friendships on the earth because the experiences that we have been through, I have not been through with any other human on the earth. We have been in more states together than I've even been in with my husband or my mom. Like literally, we were going through the list. So we've been in Maryland, Jersey, New York, Georgia, Michigan, Michigan, Louisiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Mississippi, Colorado. Is that all of them? What is that? Eight? We're debating on Indiana. We do not have no. a memory. 
of no, 2008. We do. I really think, no, because I remember eating dinner there before we went yeah. to training, which we'll explain to everybody in a second. So if everyone like is like, who the heck is this girl? And why have Caitlin and Catherine been to 12,000 states together? Catherine and I worked together with a mission organization, which we'll explain in a second, called Experience Mission. But basically, we saw each other three summers in a row, right? I think we've been in the flesh together for about nine weeks. Yeah. No, that sounds right. Nine to ten, maybe. That sounds right. So, okay, okay, okay. I keep getting ahead of myself. First, it, introduce yourself to everybody. Like, who are you? Blah, blah. And then we'll get into the experience mission. Go. Yeah, like Caitlin said, my name's Catherine. I'm married to Andrew for the last eight years. And we have two boys. Joel is three and Paul is 17 months. And we live in Kansas now. We've officially been here a year as of this month. So that flew by really fast. But we moved here for my husband's residency in general surgery. And by trade, I'm a social worker. I worked in social work for 10 years, did hospice and palliative medicine for five years, and then homeless housing services for the last four. Mm. And now I have transitioned into being a stay-at-home mom, which has been a big transition for me this year. And my side hustle is I teach. I'm a professor for Abilene Christian University in their social work department. So that's like a five-hour-a-week gig. It sounds really cool, but it's about five hours a week. So it gets me... Still a little connected and a little brain energy. It also makes you sound like a freaking genius because you're yeah, a professor. Does, yeah. You're a professor and your husband is a doctor. So it's pretty legit. Yeah, I had a very shocking moment. I was really needing some information from Andrew. I've He's been in residency for 11 months now. I have not called him during the day because I'm so nervous that I'm going to interrupt something important. Sure. I really needed some information last week. And so I called him and a lady answered his phone, his cell phone. Dr. Henneke's phone. How can I help you? Oh. And I took a big gasp. I was trying not to laugh because <laughs> I've been rude. I said, yes. Um, can you please ask Dr. Hineke what, what the name of the antibiotic Joel finished last week was? And you could hear him yell, it was amoxicillin. Ah! So in your head, you know, like he's doing surgery. He's cutting so someone's spleen open. Someone, oh and someone my is answering his phone. And it just made me realize like, oh, he's arrived. Like we- absolutely. <laughs> This is different. So yeah, and, it's so funny to hear people say Dr. Henneke. And this is how deep I am. So it's like, we're talking about how like you're a professor, your husband's a doctor. And all I'm thinking about is Grey's Anatomy. And like, I'm picturing like him in surgery and it's like the surgical assistant is like, do you want me to get your phone for you? Oh, and they like open yes. it and it's a whole thing. And like, that's all I'm picturing. That I think is real life. I, I mean. Absolutely. I'm basically a doctor. I watched all of Grey's. Hello. I could diagnose I anybody. Because I watched him in medical school. Absolutely, I yeah. I vicariously listened to a lot of lectures. Oh, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Now, having him be a doctor, like, is that helpful or does it make it worse, like, with the kids? Like, anytime someone has any kind of, like, bump, bruise, blah, 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 like, are you like, what is this? What, or is he kind of, like, relaxed about it? 
Yeah, I think both and. Yeah. Like right now the boys have upper respiratory stuff. So at night he can listen to their lungs or use an otoscope for their ear and look at their throat. You know, like he has all the little tools, which is really helpful. Yes. The other day I was like, oh man, Joel just fell all day. You know, sometimes toddlers just, there's a day that you're like, your coordination's wrong. He's like, yeah, well, we really need to keep track of this because there's something that at the age of three, they regress and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So always like worst case scenario. Sure. You're like, thanks for telling me that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll do. Thanks doc. And then we move on. So it's very helpful, but you know, all you learn in school is the worst case scenario. And so, of course, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I can see how that would be useful for the smaller things. Like, you know, how many times is like one of my kids acting weird? And I'm like, I wonder if she has an ear infection. Yes. And you just so badly are like, this is deeply annoying that I have to make a doctor's appointment to go there to have them look in her ear. I wish I could yes. just do it and decide whether it's an ear infection or not. It is extremely helpful. Now, I am sometimes doubting Thomas. Just <laughs> not welcomed in his own home. I sometimes have to trust his skill set, uh-huh. skill set. But the other day, he said, "I just, I just want to let you know, like, as the, you know, it's summer and the boys are getting older. If anyone ever needs stitches, we have everything at home to do that here." Dad is, and I like feel? long pause. I was like, I, I don't know. Hmm. He was like, I let your brother know too, in case he ever needs stitches. I was like, okay, oh my God. great. We'll let you know. Oh, so that would be great. <laughs> that would freak me out. Yeah. Well, if you ask my brother-in-law, Jeff DeClue, who you know, he would say no one ever really needs stitches. They just need Gorilla Glue. Yes. I have glued Andrew's head together once. Oh so. my gosh. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So listen, everybody buckle up. This is how we met. Okay, so there is this organization called Experience Mission. And now, since we worked for them, they they do way more than they used to do. But let's, we'll talk about them in the past tense, like when we were with them. So basically what this organization did at that time, and now they do more, like I said, but it was like, They would kind of set up shop in like different cities around the United States for the summer. And there would be people there called like their summer staff or their interns. And they would live there for the summer. And then different groups would come every week of that summer and do projects in the area. So one year you were set up in Baltimore, right? It was you and Blaine and Kelly. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yes, I remember like it was yesterday. And that was your first summer working for them, right? Yes, that was my first summer. I think both you and I have gone on experience mission trips during high school. Like I okay. went on an experience mission mission trip to Arizona during high school. And that's Me how too. I learned about them. And Correct. then several years later, got my summer staff position in Baltimore. Totally. Okay, so my story was exactly the same. Like we, I think Baltimore though, was our first? Or did I go to Arizona first? I, I think you went to... Arizona, Arizona first. Yeah. That was think, not your yeah. first mission trip with Experience Mission because yeah. you came so prepared. Yes. I remember just falling in love with all of your friends and your church that summer. I have a really cute picture from us. We have to put it in the notes. We had been friends four days. Oh my gosh. I love like that picture. picture. It yeah. is. So we met in 2008, just so everyone has Okay. A- Time frame. Okay. I yes. In Baltimore and your youth group came down and really saved us because uh, Kelly got sick. My other staffer got sick that week and ended like up bad. A- yeah. And Blaine had a difficult time 
with the job. And I think that's a nice way to say it. <laughs> Y'all really stepped in because it was at this point in time, it was really me coordinating stuff. And when you're a staffer, which I think this is the crazy thing, you're in charge of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. in charge of the whole day's events, all the mission trips, and then you're in charge of worship at night. And so you really, it is a full day of events and then you sleep in random places. Yes. So this in Baltimore, we were, we lived in that church mm-hmm. right in downtown Baltimore. And I remember my mom visited the second summer I was there. She said, I am so glad I didn't know that this is where you lived because it was not safe. And no. coming from a Midwest family, the East coast was so foreign mm-hmm. uh, to me. That was the farthest East I had ever been um, as a 20 year old. Yeah. All right. So we were in Baltimore for the week doing the missions trip and you and I completely bonded. And I remember you pulling me aside at one point and you said, I think next year you should totally apply to be a staffer. And I was like, oh man, do you think, you know, like whatever. And so whatever that, that, so that was in the back of my mind. So we did our week, We but as we were leaving, we said to you guys, like, if you ever have like a weekend off, come up to Jersey. It's not that far of a drive from Baltimore. You can stay with us. We'll take you into New York City because all you guys were like from the West and like didn't, had never been to the city. You know what I mean? So we were like, oh my gosh, I come up, I go to the city. So a few weeks later, you guys came up, you stayed at my parents' house, all three of you, right? Yeah. Or where did Blaine stay? I don't no, know. No, I think he stayed with Bill, maybe. Yeah, maybe he did. But you and Kelly stayed with us. Mm-hmm. And we went into New York City, all of us. And it was like super fun, whatever. So then you and I, we did stay in touch throughout the year. And then I remember that year at some point, Pastor Bill sat me down and said, like, I really think that you should apply to, like, be a summer staffer with Experience Mission. I was like, oh, Catherine said the same thing, you know. Um, and it had always stayed in my mind. So I did, I applied. It's like a pretty, I mean, I'm not going to be like, it's such a rigorous process, but like it kind of is. There's a lot of steps to it. I remember. Yeah. And there's like a lot of people that apply because they mm-hmm. don't, they, um, they go to like college campuses and recruit. Yes. In like Indiana and Michigan and Washington, where like the staff are located, they're recruiting heavily. Yes. And so you, I was an outlier and so were you. Yes, we were. You're totally right. You and I were like the outliers that are like, we didn't go to a college that they had been recruiting at or anything. We had just gone on the trips. I remember a very specific conversation I had with Autumn and she said, or maybe Sarah, she said, I just want you to know that I know you and Caitlin are close, but we are not going to put you guys together. I remember um, that. We're not going to put you, you guys need to be okay not being together. I was like, yeah, of course you guys pray about it. (laughs) And then they called and they said, well, we prayed about it and we're going to put y'all together. I'm so excited that we were going to live together. Absolutely. So we've, we'd only been friends in the flesh for five days. Exactly. But we acted like we were like best friends. Yeah. Like we were like twins conjoined at the hip. Like we were like, oh my God. Like, so Anyway, like you go to training, it's a whole thing. It's really fun, blah, blah. We did that ropes course situation. Oh my God, like whatever. What'd you say? Didn't we build a boat? With uh, like yes. Survive on it. And our, our partners were Jim and Josh. 
And they so did fine. Catherine, Jim, and Josh. Yeah, Caitlin, Catherine, Jim, and Josh. So it was the four of us. So we were told, okay, you guys are going to be going to Mississippi for the summer. But at, well, what they said was, Caitlin, Jim, and Josh are going to Mississippi for the whole summer, eight weeks. Catherine's going for what, four weeks? And then leaving midway through to go do more stuff in Baltimore. So I was like, oh my gosh, midway through the summer, you're going to leave me with the boys. But whatever. We were like, at least we have the first half of the summer together. Right. So... Okay, so all that training, blah, blah. They And like, <laughs> it's just insane because like we were college students. Like I think I had just finished my sophomore year of college. Is that right? Maybe my freshman year? Yeah, your sophomore, because I was a junior. Okay, yeah. So I had just finished my sophomore year of college. And like after you go to your training or whatever, you go back home, you pack your bag, and then you get on a plane and you get off the plane in Mississippi and there's no grown up there like waiting for you. Yeah, like we were alone in Mississippi, the four of us. Caitlin, Catherine, Jim, and Josh. Card. Everyone had an experience mission credit card and a binder. Yes. And we were in charge. Uh, so we, our goal for the summer was to build houses. The eye of Katrina went mm-hmm. through Burlington, Mississippi. And one of the interesting facts was that Burlington, Mississippi did not meet the codes for Habitat for Humanity to build there. And so experience mission was going to build in Purlington because no one else would rebuild there. It was a fairly, when you think about Mississippi being run down, impoverished, dirty, without using too many negative words, that's exactly what we were dealing with. Remember the water? Like we weren't allowed to drink the water there. We had to drink water. Yes. we, I picked you up from the airport and this is where we arrived. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what she's holding up, you guys, for everyone, we'll post a picture. So they basically give us some address, right? And you got to remember, this is pre iPhone. Okay. Pre iPhone. We all had our little like GPS, like what was that called? Like a Tom Tom or whatever. Uh-huh. Yes. We had our little like whatever GPS in the car and it led us to a huge abandoned football field-esque looking thing that had two beaten down trailers on it. And someone let us into them. I don't really recall how that all went down. And we were like, okay, so we have a girl one and a boy one. There was a shower in each of them or two showers in each of them and air conditioning. Only cold water, air conditioning, thank God. And like 12 beds in each one or whatever. Yeah, it was a bunk. It was a FEMA work trailer. Yes. Think, mm-hmm. That they had like abandoned or something. Like, I don't even know. So no we, toilet. no toilet in there. Yeah. So there were porta potties set up at basically like the other end of this, like, it was the size of a football field. It was so like, yeah, 110 yeah. yards away was the closest restroom. And perfect. One. Well, because. So in our first night there, so we're like getting set up, like we're in our girl one, the boys and the boy. And I remember Jim came into us and he goes, all right, sit down. And we were like, okay. And he was like, so listen, I was talking to someone from the town. Cause like we had contacts in the town, you know, that were like people that could kind of like give us information, help us out, whatever. But like we were in charge, you know what I mean? But so I don't know if it was Glenn or who, somebody from the town had told him just like a heads up to the ladies. Like I see that they have, you have like two young ladies in your group, like FYI, there's this guy named Walter who's like a convicted rapist, but like isn't in jail. And he is homeless and just kind of likes to sleep anywhere around town. And so he usually would kind of sleep like somewhere around like the camp you guys are staying on. So just like make sure 
the women like are never alone at night, like whatever. And so like Jim was like, so listen, guys, like if you have to pee at night, do not walk the hundred yards to the, to the porta potties, like pee in the shower. And you and I were both like, no, (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I was like, I'm not peeing in the shower. Like, but I also like don't want to go out there and get killed. So they were like, they got someone to move a porta potty like right next to our thing, which was still fairly dangerous though. I mean, to go out in the pitch black and go into a porta potty in the middle of the night. Yes, I don't remember Jim having that conversation. So that's, <laughs> I, that's I literally can picture him saying, go pee in the shower. And I was like, no. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to pee in the shower. So we have to find a different solution, Jim. But, uh, so that was like night one, right? So like, that's what we're getting into. It came about that basically the, um, trailers we were staying in were roach infested. So that was fun. You know, we would find them on our hairbrush. There was one in my shoe. One night I felt something crawl across my head and it was a roach. Like when I think back on these things, I literally am like, I don't know who that girl was because I could not survive that today. I'm weak. It, it, they were roach infested and they also had mold in them. Because mold. you and I got tremendously sick. The sickest I've ever been Same. was from there because it took about 12 weeks after we both left that trailer for us to get better. Our lung, we had like bronchitis, upper totally. respiratory stuff. There was uh, – a really big issue. I remember going to urgent care while I was in Mississippi because I I was having coughing fits that were so bad that it was almost making me throw up. Like I was like gagging, like it was so bad. I remember that Adam Tarver took me to urgent care. Like he was like, you have to go, you can't breathe. So like we went and the woman's like listening to my lungs and she was like, you sound terrible. And she was like, "Where, where do you live? And I was like, well, I'm staying in this like old FEMA trailer. And she goes, well, that's why. She's like, you're breathing in all that roach, S-H-I-T, and all that mold. She was like, this is, it's going to take months for this to clear out. And I was like, so what do I do today? And she was like, you could take this antibiotic and pray for the best. I was like, okay, great. I literally had a cough until Christmas that year. Yes. Yes. We both were so sick. So, okay. So those were the living conditions. Yes. But our goal was to build houses. And how many times had you held a hammer before? Zero. Actually zero. Yeah. I had a little bit more building experience, but not much. I could paint. We were in charge of like electrical wiring, framing, stairs. Everything we built was on the large 20-foot beams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the houses there are up on stilts. construction. Yes. And then these middle school, one of the weeks we led was like the 100 first week. middle schoolers showed The first up. week was 150 Texan middle schoolers. And we were like, Jesus, come back now. Now would be the yeah. time. Yes. So At this moment. Them, they, they couldn't legally do a lot with like. Yeah, because it was like child labor stuff. I don't remember. I think um, it was just safety protocols. But okay. Yes. So there was a lot of, a lot of education for us. It was wild. So let's just share a few stories that were like pretty crazy of our experience in Mississippi. So tell them about your little laundry experience. Okay. So the laundry room was about 120 yards from where we stayed. So sometimes we'd rotate like who's doing laundry on the weekends and Mm -hmm. it it didn't stay there. We had a lot of errands to run. We were always- getting stuff ready. And so I did laundry. I remember there was an extended amount of time from when my wash finished to when I put it in the dryer. And so I put it in the dryer. Um, Later that night, we come back. I'm folding my clothes. And I'm like, Caitlin, 
all my bras are gone. <laughs> and you, that was your response then. You kind of laughed. Like, what? I was like, I, I don't have any bras. I don't mom. have like, one bra. All gone. I had one, the one I was wearing. And it was the week, like it was the day before I was supposed to be leaving for Baltimore. And I just remember you looking and you looked through my clothes and I, we didn't, there was nothing. And so all my bras had been taken from this communal open, no lock laundry room. That I think had been originally set up for when people first had lost power and all that stuff after Mississippi, after Mississippi, after Katrina, everyone in the town would come and do their laundry there. Yes. And so later that summer, I think it was Josh was driving around, you and Josh, and you saw Walter and he was wearing bras, multiple bras, (laughs) and they were mine. And Walter stole all of my bras from the laundry room. And I just remember getting to Baltimore and having to go get a lot more bras. <laughs> a ton of bras. It was they were like, all stolen. That is the only time in my 34 years of life that anyone has stolen bras from me. You can't make this stuff up. Like you actually cannot make this stuff up. So I remember one night, like after you had left, there was like a ton of cabins also that were like on this property that we were staying on where like the teams would stay. So the night before a new team would come, like I would go through and like we would like wipe everything down, bug bomb it, like real. I mean, it was like horrible living conditions, but we would try to make them like as decent as possible, like clean-ish, you know, like we did our best. So I remember one night, it was very late. It was very dark. And Josh and I were just doing like a run through of all the cabins to make sure that they were okay for the team in the morning. I go into one, it's pitch black. And like, I run in, I think just cause I forgot something in there. Like, I don't think I was cleaning. I think I was like, oh, I think we just like forgot something in that, in that cabin. So I just like run in, I'm just using like the flashlight on my phone or something. And then all of a sudden I turn around and there's a massive figure on one of the beds. And all of a sudden it gets up and he's like, oh, I was asleep. And it's Walter and I'm alone in the cabin in pitch black dark with Walter the rapist. I literally, I remember that was the actual scariest moment of my life. Like I remember how I felt. Like I literally went, oh my God, and I literally backed out. Like it was like a movie. I like stumbled back out. And Josh was like right outside with the car or something. And I literally like fell into the car, slammed the door shut. And I was like, drive, oh my God. And I started hysterically crying. And then he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have let you go in there by yourself. And I was like, I can't. Like I was horrified. Like I was like, I could have died. And it's like, I, I remember it to today. I, there were several times that summer where I thought we were going to die. We Uh-oh. were on the search we, you know, every Thursday night in experience mission, they want you to kind of have a bigger night, whether that's mm-hmm. you go to the beach experience mission or in Baltimore, we would go to like the Harbor. And so we were in Purlington, Mississippi, and there were not very many cool places to rendezvous. So I remember the lady at the turtle landing, the only restaurant. In yes. town, oh, you got to go down to the hole. And that's where everyone goes. And you're going to go down the street, find the red barn, turn left, go down a little bit. You'll see some logs and you'll turn right. And that's everything down here, people. Like it was just like- There were no signs. No signs. Like it was just, you have to like feel like go west. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're like, where the heck I don't am I know going? Yeah, I don't know. So we jump in the car, just you and 
you and me, right? We're driving. And I remember at one point in time, this I said, this is one of the prettiest drives ever. It was very like sweet home Alabama-esque. We're driving down. Totally. And then we clearly get to the wrong place. Like we make a wrong turn and our car gets attacked <laughs> by dogs. No, like actually attacked by dogs. There are, do- there are wild pack dogs jumping on top of our car. Swarming. And I'm reverse, but there's dogs behind me like getting hit. So I'm trying not to hurt <laughs> these dogs. There are dogs jumping all over. And I don't like animals. I'm already afraid of dogs. Catherine is horrified of dogs. Of dogs. Life. She's so scared of dogs. And then we, we're living in a town. Totally. We're living in a town for the summer that has a whole bunch of wild dogs that would just like come up. Like there would be days where it's Catherine just, would be like walking out of our cabin and then there would be one right there. And she'd like slam the door shut and be like, oh, there's another dog out there. We'd have to like wait for it to leave so we could exit. Yeah. I have a lot of areas that I'm brave in and wild dogs is not one of them. Not that you should be brave with a wild dog. Like no one should be really. I'm also not brave with a contain like a house dog, but we'll we'll work on that whole whole nother level. And I I don't remember how we got out of that. I just remember just, you were just, we both were just screaming. We were literally, go, go, go. (laughs) I remember you saying, I feel like we are driving to our death. Like this is, this will be like in like the documentary they make about us one day. Like this will be like, and then Caitlin and Catherine were driving to their death and they didn't even know it. Like for real, it was a horrifying experience. Then we almost got eaten by alligators. Yes. Share that story. One of the guys we were building a house for, Captain Nick. Captain um, Nick. He was so nice. So such a, such Lovely. a guy. Helped, helped us build lots of houses for other people. And then on the weekends, we'd try to help him. But one weekend to say thank you, he wanted to have us over for shrimp. Right. Yes. And so that morning he went shrimping and it was the largest shrimp I've oh ever gosh. eaten. And we wrapped it all day. We peeled shrimp, we wrapped them in bacon and consumed the best the, shrimp I've ever had in my life. I had like 700. Like it was. Yeah, we ate oh a lot of shrimp. Oh, yeah. And he said, okay, so Captain Nick owned one of those airboats that go through the swamp. And he was like, do you guys want to ride? And we're like, yes, we've been dying to go on the swamp. So we all get in there. He's up cruising around. I mean, he was going so fast, fast out in the middle. I mean, we were back in all these small bayous. Like he, at one point in time, cuts off the engine jumps out of the boat and catches a small baby alligator. Yeah. And I was so floored. I still can, I can envision him catching an alligator. So he was intentionally swerving around the spire to make alligator angry, like to make him angry. And all of a sudden the boat propeller breaks. (sighs) And there are, in my mind, we could see like four or five alligators. Yeah. Oh, like, like, yes. There are lots of alligators around us. We are now sitting duck. There's nothing we can do. And this is not a boat boat. Like, like if you guys are picturing like, well, my dad has a boat. It's not like that boat. I promise. It's like a, it's like a glorified raft with an engine. Yes. I think he had made it. And he was to become a tour guide. Yes. And we were sitting on this boat right as a huge storm was coming in. Yeah. Somehow he had self-service and called a friend who said, I'm, I'm drunk and I <laughs> have to wait to come pick you up. I'm going to have to wait an hour. 
I can't so we even. Sit out there. We sit out there waiting. <laughs> and this storm, uh, it was one of the prettiest things I've ever seen because the, the lightning's getting so close. The lightning turns purple mm-hmm. because it's so close to us. And all of a sudden, this boat shows up and pull tugboats us back in to the harbor. And we, I mean, like we were like, I just want to pause and say, I'm really sorry to both of our mothers right now because they're listening yeah. to this and they're dying slowly. Like, just like, I can't believe that. A lot of my stories, I don't think my parents have heard. No, same. Oh, absolutely same. My Because mm-hmm. there was one night I made like the, the mistake of, okay, because um, then, okay, so the vehicle that we were driving when we were down in Mississippi was called the Silver Bullet. It was the size of like a short bus. Yeah, like like a small bus. That was the size of it. It was a stick shift. None of us, none of us, maybe Jim did. Didn't, maybe Jim knew how to drive a stick. Drive a stick. But we certainly didn't. And so it was like, Jim's like, it's fine. I'll teach you. Which like, guys, I'm not that great a driver on a good day. Like, I can't learn how to drive a stick. I literally can't. It was, and this thing, we're not talking about learning on like a little, like, it was the size of a bus and it was 1,000 trillion years old. I have a note on the back of this picture that I printed. I'm so <sighs> glad I printed pictures back then. I know. I love that you did that. Silver Bullet, a 1980 Ford, no windshield wipers, no rear view mirror, no second gear. Oh my God. So wait, tell them about and the time we're driving. I remember that. Yeah. Good. You know what? I love that you did that. And I'm, yeah. I hate myself that I haven't labeled things like that. No second gear. So th- I think that was one of the biggest issues is we couldn't get into third gear and it would just <laughs> kind of die on us. Oh my gosh. So one day we were driving down the road. You got pretty good at it. I will say like, I just refused to drive it. I was like, I'm not doing this. I can't yeah. do this. So you were driving it and then it started like sideways raining. And that was when we realized that the windshield wipers didn't work. So you instead of pulling over, highway. literally, like yes. I-10, driving down the highway, and it's a monsoon. Like, you could literal see out the window. I remember you had to stick your head out of the window <laughs> to tell me, <laughs> okay, stay on the roads. You're hitting the white line, hitting the here's, white line. Here's your exit. Like, that. this is psychotic. Like, the things that we are saying right now, this is absolutely nuts. Like, don't try this at home. I think that's why we're be- where we're friends, because we feel like we went through some trauma together, uh, right? Like a thousand percent. I've never been this close to death as this many times, like with anyone other than you. It's all happening within three to four weeks. Of this is four weeks of our lives. Like that's what this is. So like the whole thing. Okay. So then when I like, when I finally got to the place where I was like, I will absolutely not be driving this vehicle. Someone in town said like, well, I have this unregistered car that you can use for the summer that had like no license plates. It was illegal. We were, it was unsure about whether it possibly could have been linked to a crime. We're like not a thousand percent sure on that. But that was the vehicle that I drove around in all summer because I was like, this is way better than the silver bullet. And they just told me like, when you park it, just kind of like try to be inconspicuous. Like, you know, like we don't want to draw attention to the fact that there's no license plates on this vehicle. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. Whatever. There was one night after you had already gone to Baltimore where I just like had like a horrible day or something. And I just like took it upon myself to treat myself to Walmart, which is like, that's how sad it is when that's a treat. Like I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Walmart and like go to the McDonald's and get myself an iced coffee. It's going to be like my treat. That was like 45 minutes away. Absolutely. I did it by myself. I didn't tell anyone. And then I called my mom at some point. I was like, yeah, I just like came to Walmart by myself in the car, whatever. And she was like, Caitlin, you like, she yelled at me. Like, she was like, you can't drive in the dark at night by yourself without the boys. 
always with you, like in that illegal car. And I was like, I guess she's right. Like, I literally think because my prefrontal cortex was not fully developed, I was completely unaware of the fact that I was near to death every day. Yeah, I also think we were doing a good job. Like totally. every, all of these youth groups would come in. People would say, oh, you you coordinated this great project. Everyone yes. had stuff to do. Everyone had food, worship. Man, Jim was so good at, Jim and Josh were so good at leading worship. Amazing. And so we were curating something that people were loving. Yes. And, and we were doing good work. Like we built that home for the family. And Oh my gosh, the Miranda Bennett's. Miranda was a teenage daughter. You guys like were good buddies. And yeah. And so I think like we were excited about the work we were doing. hundred percent. We just didn't, we just kind of passed on all the other. Absolutely. Insane things that were happening in our life. And like I the beauty of day, it. Go, every go, day go. we say the phrase like pee by 11 or you're going to heaven. Yes. Like, yes. drink so much water. Oh, so dehydrating. So down there. So we would chug chug water chug but no like the beauty of it is that like we really became part of the town like on the weekends people invited us over for dinner we went to people's softball games like we Mm -hmm. they were like our family for the summer they would like adopt us you know what I mean because they knew that we were like a bunch of college kids we didn't know anyone and so we just became besties with the town and it really was like a beautiful wonderful thing so Fast forward to, so we finished out that summer, whatever. There was like a whole situation of the fact, but then we stopped in Georgia. It was a whole thing. We'll save everybody the boring details of that. But the next summer, neither of us planned to work for Experience Mission again. Like I was going to study abroad in Italy. We didn't apply. Like you were going to be doing something out. Like we were just like, I'm not going to do it again. Like that was an amazing experience. Totally grew me. Amazing. Love it. Moving on with my life. But Experience Mission called us and they said, okay, listen, like, Denver has only like two weeks of mission trips that got signed up for in Denver. So we can't, we're not going to put like a summer staff there for the whole eight weeks of the summer. Cause why would we do that? There's only two weeks that are booked Would the two of you want to go there for just two weeks. Like we know that you weren't planning on doing EM for the summer. We know that you were going to do other things with your summers. Would you want to do the two weeks? So we were like, yes, this sounds like a dream. So the two of us met up in Denver and led trips for two weeks in July, because I, I had six weeks of grad school <sighs> in June and didn't I remember that Italy and I went to Italy. Yes. And then we both got back in July and flew straight to Colorado. Totally. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in Denver, we had almost zero near death experiences. It was not as intense yeah. at yeah. all. And we were staying in like a nice church. It was like with running water and showers and toilets and all like we felt like we were on vacation. And the kindest humans I've ever met in my entire life. We, absolutely. We, well, who are they? So we were greeted by these strangers, Kim and Tyann. We're leading a (sighs) vacation Bible school. Yes. In air conditioned. A lovely air conditioned. Yes. And I think we did some other projects for the church. Like we cleaned up some ladies' yards and stuff like that. But we were working with groups of like 20 to 25 versus in Mississippi, the groups were 75 to 150 people. So it was a lot less, a lot less little humans to coordinate into the right direction. And so we were just being asked to do a lot less. There were also people helping us with meals and someone else did the worship. So we felt like we were 
really coasting. Coasting. We were just yeah. like, this is so, cause like in Mississippi, we were literally, we did all of the meals, all of the projects, all of the materials, all of the, the, the Bible studies, the work, like literally everything. But in Denver, it was not that way. So we were like, oh, okay, this is fine. And so I, I remember meeting Nancy you're now mother-in-law for the first time and just sitting there going, I would love to be part of this family. Like we met the sisters and we're like, you guys are sisters. Like we didn't realize. So wonderful. Yes. We were like, wait, you guys are like, that's her mom. Yes. It was like this, it was like a slow awakening of like, oh wait, you guys are sisters. Oh, that's your mom. Oh, that kid's yours. And that kid's yours. And that kid's yours. Like there was like 30,000 kids between the two of them. And we were like, oh my gosh, like, is everyone in this church related? Like, this is so funny. Love you guys. So fun. And then I remember walking into the office and Kim saying, hey, have you seen Caitlin? I'm like, I don't know. She's somewhere. I think she's leading something. You know, I didn't know where you were. I had been working outside all day. So you're doing the inside stuff. I'm doing the outside stuff. I walk in and I turn. I'm like, dang. That who is that guy? And I just remember from the get-go, we called him Scotty the Hottie. <laughs> and we were both smitten. And from the stance of like, we love this family. Yes. This guy loves Jesus. He is really cute and he's really kind. Absolutely. And they, I mean, he it was just great. It was perfect timing for you. It was really funny. So like basically, like for us, so we had already been saying like, gosh, we love this family. They're so cool. Then we found out they have a younger, blue-eyed, single pastor brother. And we were like, come on. Like, wow, what what a treat. What a treat this is. So basically, I don't know, Kim and Tyann or somebody, whatever, they fight over the credit. So I'm just going to say one of them, like, introduced me to him somehow, like something happened. Like I went into the office and we were talking and then Kim said something like, can he like, give me, can I give him your number? Like something like that. And it ended up that he texted me and was like something like, but I took it as like, he wanted to like talk to us about our organization. I, I took it that he wanted to talk to us about experience mission. You know what I mean? So I I was like, that's how we both took it. Like he wants to learn more about what we're doing. 100%. He'll come along too. Exactly. So I said, okay, Thursday night, me and Catherine will meet you at yogurt land, our favorite place that we discovered in Denver. Mm -hmm. And so thus was our date and a half, as we like to call it. Cause it wasn't a double date. It was Caitlin and Catherine on a date with Scott. At Yogurtland. Would Scott, does Scott feel like he was asking you on a date and you brought me along? He, okay. So he says like, well, I wasn't like legit asking you on a date because like, I felt like I was older than you because Scott's seven years older than me. So he's right. like, I didn't want to be creepy. So I wasn't going to straight up be like, hello, I just met you yesterday and I'm clearly a lot older than you. Like, do you want to go out alone? Like he was like, so I kind of was vague on purpose to see like what you did with it. But then when I was like me and Catherine, I'll go like, then he was kind of like, oh, I guess she's not feeling it. But like, I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like, and so then I remember we went to ice cream, a yogurt or whatever. And when we got back in the car, you were like, you you were drooling. Like you need yes, to relax. You 
were so flirty. He kept like touching your hair. You laughed at everything he said. And Scott and I had a good conversation that you would kind of interject in every now and then, but you were, couldn't even talk. You were just staring at him like, could this possibly be happening? I remember texting my mom and being like, oh my gosh, I met my dream man. And she was like, you need to relax. She was like, just do your emissions trip and relax, okay? And I was like, okay. But after the date and a half, what happened? I don't remember if that was the first or second week we were there. I think think it it was was the the first week. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So then the second week, I think y'all went out by yourself one night. No, we didn't. Really? We really didn't. No, okay. like we, because then he came by a uh, barbecue. Remember when you spilled all the paint? I shouldn't yeah. say you. We yeah. spilled all the paint in the back of that person's van. Yeah. Sorry, lady. I don't even know whose it was. Sorry to that person. And so I remember him like appearing and like helping us get it out or something. Yes. He appeared the whole next week. Exactly. Like, he just kind of kept appearing. Yeah. a job or wasn't in school or. Right. I don't, he just kept showing up to the mission trip to VBS to yes. He was very involved from then going forth. And you would just like all, y'all would just be talking in the sanctuary and I would be like working, which I was fine with. I was very pro <laughs> the relationship. But and then sometimes uh, like we didn't have a lot of responsibilities at night. I think we went to yogurt land again. Did we? I feel like there was one other night we did do something. Went but to then or something. Then I remember, I don't know if I've ever admitted to this to you before this moment. So there was one night then, so where after one of those times when we hung out, when Scott and I ended up texting like most of the night. Yeah. And I was our alarm person, me and you, like we were sleeping in that room on those couches and I would be like, I'll set my alarm for block because we did have to get up and set out breakfast for the team before they got up. But because I was texting Scott all night, I had turned my phone on silent So in the morning when my alarm went off, it was silent. So we didn't hear it. And you and I slept until like forever. The team had gone up for breakfast and there was breakfast. There was no breakfast out. And they were like, should someone check on Caitlin and Catherine? And then someone came to our door and we were dead asleep. And so then when we finally ran upstairs, remember they clapped for us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to set my alarm. But that wasn't really true. I did set it. It was just my phone was on silent because I was texting until 3 a.m. Caitlin, (laughs) confessions here. Confessions Uh, of a blossoming relationship. (laughs) So I have this stupidest memory of you. We were driving and Scott was driving next to us and he just kept throwing dum-dum suckers into our car. Like everyone had the windows rolled yes. down. And you thought it was the funniest thing in the whole world. Like I really did. You guys were so smitten from the get-go. And we had because of I do remember. No. So no? wait, because of the dum-dum thing, we had dum-dums at on our candy table at our wedding. Really? Oh isn't that just cute? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so if people are listening to this and they're like, so what happened? I, I married him. So he it's married. like, yeah, we're good. We got, we're, we got married. We have children. So anyway, I don't think he took me to the airport. Didn't he just come and say goodbye to us at the church? And then what happened was, so he was keeping it from his sisters because he didn't want them to like get all up in his business. Right. And then he came to say goodbye to us at the church. And the secretary at the church is one of his sister's good friends. And so she texted them and she was like, I just want you to know that your brother's here saying goodbye to the girls. And so then like they knew 
You know what I mean? Like, so then it was like sibling group. So funny. It's too good. So then whatever we ended up talking, the rest is history. We're married. It's fine. Um, Listen, you added something to the notes that I was really surprised to see because we had a document where we were typing memories on it. And you said something about back to Mississippi, a conversation we had. Yeah, I have very, I have a very specific memory of you and how you changed my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this was what I was a junior and I had been hanging out with a new group that year, like a new friend group. And they were just super sarcastic, like more than like my normal self. Like I have a little bit of a dry humor. I, I like to clap back, but this group was like super almost crossing that border of like, sure. And it had infiltrated into my, my humor, my, my talk, my, the way I can kind of conducted, uh, my relationships. And you snapped back one day and said, if, if I talk to you, if I make jokes about you, the way you make jokes about me, you would hate it. You would, you wouldn't handle it. You would walk away. And I don't remember that at all. I remember just stopping dead in my tracks and going, she's so right. Like I'm not, this is no longer funny. Like I'm being mean. And, um, because I think people who are sarcastic in nature have that tendency to always cross that barrier. And the closer you know someone, the more comfortable you feel, um, you can take deeper dives. Right. But it really has created a boundary of like, if the other person's not having fun, it's no longer funny. Right. And so I've really tried to, changed my humor after that to be a little bit more positive, a little bit less uh, angsty towards the other person. So yeah, I just, I really remember you saying that one day. And I don't even remember uh, that at all, yeah. which is so funny that it's it changed good. your life. Good. It is good. Cause I clearly have only happy memories. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I was like the meanest person in the world, but I think I was jabbing at people and we were in a stressful environment. So we should have been constantly lifting each other up. And that wasn't really my MO at that time. Well, I mean, wow, that's so funny. I mean, yeah. I love you forever. But so like, listen, let's talk about, we've talked, so now this has been like a lot of fun, obviously talking about like crazy, ridiculous things that have happened. And like, listen, experience mission changed my whole life. Like yeah, not only just like in the experience, like the experiences that I have, like the person that I became, like I'm sure that it led to me then being drawn to apply for Teach for America, which I then did for two years and stayed on an extra year. Like it gave me a heart for, you know, the underprivileged, stuff like that. It's how I met my husband. Like I would, I wouldn't trade one day of my experience mission journey. I wouldn't, I met you. Like, it's like, it was an incredible experience. We've obviously now shared a lot of experiences from it that are like hysterical and ridiculous and death-defying, but let's like go there, okay? So like there are a lot of people that have really mixed feelings about short-term mission trips where like, you know, like the Young Life group or the youth group gets together and like all the 14-year-olds go to Mississippi and do, you know, quote-unquote work on someone's house for the week. And sometimes... There are situations where the the group does more harm than good, unfortunately. That is sometimes the reality. Like, they've come to help, but then what happens is, like, with the amount of, like, drama and, like, setup and whatever, and then if it's a bunch of 14-year-olds, they don't actually know what they're doing on a work site. So, like, how is this really 
helping anyone. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so there are times where people are like short-term missions are useless. You know what I mean? Like we shouldn't do this. It doesn't help. Like, what would you say to that? Yeah, it's definitely a very complicated subject. And you can look at it from two perspectives, right? As a mom with two boys, do I want my kids when they're in middle and high school to have the opportunity to serve someone in a different culture, from a different socioeconomic status? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it changes your worldview. I think if you allow it, it can change your global perspective on reciprocity, on mm-hmm. power structures, on uh, just kindness in general. So as a mother, yes, I, I want my children to be able to do that. But I think the teams, you and I often talk about specific groups, and we kind of didn't want to hover on specific groups, just in case I ever heard heard these stories. But the groups that came and had had some preemptive conversations about this concept of mutual reciprocity of not only am I going to be in Baltimore and work at the Christian Community Center, but it's going to change my life. And I remember a very specific day I was walking from the church to the to the community centers, not very far at all. And I rounded the corner and there's a huge group, of, like a youth group behind me. And I had the thought like, oh man, I so hope this kid's here that he, you know, he always ran up, gave me a big hug. We were best friends. I want them to see how cool I am in this community. And I hit the gate and realized like, man, this is such an unhealthy view of service to others because I was serving for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a really fine line of, being out there in the world, serving for myself. I'm an Enneagram three. I'm a high achiever. Um, I want to be the best at all things all the time. And that includes service. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have to be really careful of of my heart. And so groups sometimes come and they've done this pre-heart work, right? We're going, we're going to do whatever we need to do at whatever way in whatever time of day, uh, we're going to do it with our whole heart. And your group was one of those groups. We had amazing groups that we met in all of these places. Um, I think the groups that did harm showed up kind of in this spiritual tourism world um, to come to a new place and um, have some fun Uh and do a little work on the side. And those are the groups who got the most mad, maybe with the living situation, the most mad with the food, um, the most mad that they had to work most of the day. and. That that is when it becomes harmful. And those are people who I would say show up with a selfish service mindset. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that can be harmful. That can be harmful short-term or long-term missionaries status. Totally. Um, yeah, because there's definitely like, especially with the rise of social media and stuff like that, there's this trend where I've heard like Christian comedians and stuff poke fun at this, where it's like you go on a missions trip and then like your profile picture is like you with the orphan kids from the orphanage. And it's like, you're the best. Look at you. Everyone's like, oh my God, like you're so amazing that you spent your, like a week of your summer going and helping kids da, da, da. and it becomes about you. You know what I mean? And that's like, listen, we're humans. We're selfish beings. Like it's hard to do anything with like 100% pure motives obviously like that we're not expecting someone to be like 100% pure hearted, but you're exactly right. Like it takes like a ton of pre-work before you go on a trip like that to like be able to maintain like a good attitude and to make it about the people that live in the community and not about you. 
and yeah. also not about the actual work. That's something that we talked about so much on the trips that I would love for you to talk about that. Like there are times where you're like, man, we're like painting this lady's house, but like, you know, high schoolers are doing it. And like this paint quality is like not amazing. So like in a year, this is probably going to need to get repainted again. So like, is this is useless. Like it's easy to get caught up in that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think we are very action oriented. We have a lot of goals when we go on mission trips and that can be hard when our personal or group goals don't get met. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one specific group that you and I talk a lot about, but they were just, they were frustrated that you had to wear t-shirts and closed-toed shoes. They were Mm -hmm. frustrated that they had to paint outside and not inside. And they ended up leaving in the middle of in the middle of the week, they just left and they said, we're going to stay about an hour away. We'll be here every morning. Um, and you know, they showed up late every day and it became really hard for you and I, we had to keep out breakfast longer. We had mm-hmm. to sit to serve dinner earlier, all of these things shifted and they were so angry at us. Uh, it was the most exhausting week of you and I's life. And we were assigned to this group and the boys had the other group. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they left saying, man, I don't, I don't ever want to serve that way. And yeah, they had, they had a lot of, um, just a lot of anger about showing up to the middle of Mississippi and not having air conditioning, which I agree. Sure. It was friggin' hot. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to say like, this is a delight and you should just be skipping through this week joyfully every moment of every day. Like, hello, do you think I was thrilled when I found a roach on my head? No. You know what I mean? So it's like there, but there's a difference, right? Between being like, oh man, it's hot. And being like, screw this, we're leaving, you know? Right. And I think most people at the end of a week, you know, we always have a reflection time and most, no matter where we were, a lot of students, a lot of high school or middle school students would say, it's just amazing how happy people are with so little. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people would come in. It's it's almost like we think wealth is a prerequisite to happiness yeah. or to spiritual success. Yes. But in reality, you know what, what we talk about this pre-work, the post-work behind mission trips is to continually have these conversations to talk about goodness and how do we share goodness in the world. And it's not about happiness doesn't lead to spiritual health. You know, apathy leads to spiritual death. It's mm-hmm. not the lack of happiness. And, and I think, um, you know, in your last podcast, y'all were talking a little bit about deconstruction. I think apathy um, leads to some of that frustration with people in the church. And so when we would have an apathetic group show up, man, it was, it was just as hurtful for the community. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, one of the ways that I think Experience Mission has shaped me is I'm also a social worker. So um, being in a helping profession is is who I am and it's what I've done for the last 12 years. But it also infiltrates into the way I parent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Joel is three now and he's aware that we have friends who don't have homes. Mm -hmm. We have friends who don't have enough food. Um, At the park we go to, there's a guy who lives at the park we go to by our house. And Joel now knows that we're going to pack him a snack. And so every day he might grab a banana or an extra water bottle. He gets to pick what he takes to uh, Wyatt. And and we know this guy. We've shared pizza with him in the park. Um, Mm -hmm. We take him bananas. 
And this is this is how we parent a generation of of kind humans who care about everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that's that's super important to me. It's really important to my my husband as well that we raise kind people. And I think mission trips, you're on that spiritual high. Sure. Um, how do we uh, take that and then it transform who we are in all aspects of our life? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's the type of thing where, you know, it's the relationships that you build. And I know that this was something that we were really, really big on in Experience Mission that we would talk to the teams about all the time is that it's like, you need to remember that these are people that you're coming here and you're working on their home or you're working in their town or whatever. Like these are humans. And so like, look them in the eye, speak to them respectively, build a relationship with them. Like you just said, like, you know, that guy's name in the park. You know what I mean? You're not, you don't call him to your son, like the homeless guy. You know what I mean? Like he has a name, he's a person. And like you, you empower your son to pack him a snack and share pizza with him. Like you've humanized him. And I think that that's so important that experience mission would always, always, always like really hammer that home. Like do not show up at someone's house and just start painting the outside. Talk to them, ask them about themselves, sit with them. Cause like, that's going to be the impact that lasts. Like this, yo, this world is not forever. You're going to paint someone's house. Another hurricane could come tomorrow. It could knock, it could literally wipe out tomorrow. I mean, please, Jesus, no, but I'm just like, right. please no, I'm not wishing this, but I'm just saying any of these areas where we were doing work, anything could happen literally the next day and just like cancel out all the work that you did, but nothing can ever cancel out the human work that you do, the relationships that you build, like the way you make someone feel like they're important, you know, and that relationships. And I just think that that's something that I really for sure learned from you. Like, I remember watching you in Baltimore and being like, oh, she's friends with these people. She's not like, hello, like, here I am, like white upper middle class girl, like here to help you. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't at all. Like you seemed very much like you're just like one of the group here. Like, you know, like you just kind of like became part of the community center and it was a very reciprocal relationship, like you were saying. And it was just like you guys respected each other, you know? And I feel like that's, that is what makes short-term missions worth it. If you show up and you're annoyed about everything and the kids are just looking to get some good social media pictures and you just want to be able to say, oh, that was another thing that was really popular in Mississippi. People wanted to be able to say, we helped to rebuild a house that was destroyed by Hurricane Katrina because that was like cool, right? Mm -hmm. Very cool. So if you got put on a crew that wasn't really working on a house building project, maybe they were working on something for a church or like, or something else, it wasn't as cool. And people were annoyed about that because it like, didn't give them as much street cred. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, that's when short-term missions don't work. So it's like, you need to do that pre heart work and doesn't experience mission send you pre-work to do, to help prepare yeah, you? You could tell the groups that did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They send you like a whole thing and you could tell the groups that did it and the groups that didn't, you know? Um, 
Yeah. And so it's so important. It's so important, you know, and you can build relationships with people like the fact that we remember all their names, you know what I mean? Like from Mississippi yeah. and like so many memories and all that stuff. Like I still see all like Miranda got married. Like I see her on Facebook. It's like, she's so freaking cute. I love her. And it's like, when we were down there, she was like 13. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so, so media free, you know, so I haven't seen Facebook. Yeah, you so are. That's really cool. So like, what has been your experience? Cause like Another thing about you is that, okay, so like you're an Enneagram three, like you said, like you're a high achiever. You're really smart. Like from the moment I met you, like if anyone ever talks to you for any length of time, like you're really smart, like you are a social worker, like you get things, you know what I mean? Like you understand like how the world works and you know, uh, whatever, like you've just worked in like a lot of different phases of life. Like there were like things I remember talking to you about, about like end of life and stuff like that, that you had been up close and personal with like working in hospice that I was just like, wow, like she's filled with so many just like experiences, not like all this stuff. And then you recently transitioned to being basically a full-time stay-at-home mom, other than like the professor thing on the side, like you said. But like, what has that been like for you? Is it just like a delight and a half every step of the way? The best part of it has been seeing my boys have like a really strong relationship together. Yeah. But it is very hard for me personally because I love goals. I really, I love affirmation. Yeah. You know, your three-year-old does not give much affirmation during the day. He oh does, gives a lot of thank yous. He often tells us, sure. mom, like, you know, there's those that are very sweet little gems of the world. Totally. Um, so I have decided that I need stay-at-home mom goals. So this year for Joel's third birthday, uh, in his third year of life, I'm going to read 365 unique books to him. Oh, I have an Excel spreadsheet. Stop. It has the title of the book, the author of the book, where we got the book from, in what month did we read this book? You know, so I, I love it you. helps me. I have a goal. I research best read aloud books based on what he's interested in. Whether can you send it. us this list? We should yes. publish it for the moms. Oh, yes. I have a top and 10 dads. favorite books list going. And I, it's all I talk about because it's all I, it's not all I have right now. No, but, but I know it's. I'm focused on. So I'll yes. show up to like a mom group and be like, has anyone read Alan with the Big Scary Teeth? <laughs> best book you've ever read. You need to get it. The alligator has dinners. The alligator has And you're like, it's just hysterical. Let me tell you, it's just a knee slapper. You yeah. got to get it. Oh my gosh. That's been really fun. We're on book 150 since January. So we are just trucking along. That's really good. Yeah. I did laugh at the episode when you talked about not going to the library, but we have phenomenal libraries in Wichita. It has an outside STEM garden. Your library is legit. Like the stuff that you post pictures of, I'm like, it looks like you're at a water park or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so it's just a mile from our house. So that's even better. And it's open till 8 p.m. So a lot of times it is our You can go till bed. Yes. We go to the library. So that's amazing. It's delightful. Yeah. So that's my goal. And I think I've really been into this Instagram page called A Thousand Hours Outside. Oh, everyone's posting about that. Tell me. Okay. I, I think it's so neat. I love being outside a lot. We love being dirty. We love being on nature hikes. It's just, I have two very active boys. 
and we spend most of our day outside. So the principle of it is just track that you can get a thousand hours outside in a year. So maybe for his fourth year of life, which Paul would be too. Um, oh yeah. We could spend a thousand hours outside. So, well, and the nice thing is what's the weather in Kansas? Is it warm? I mean, oh. it's cold in the winter. Did you get snow? Yeah, yeah. We had multiple oh. snow fests this year. Yeah. I'm an idiot. It's actually, it gets cold and it gets just as hot as Texas. So oh. we're kind of on the mix. But there That's are interesting. plenty of beautiful days in the middle of those. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So yes, I have to have a goal and I'm just embracing it. I and my that. goal doesn't have to be what other moms do. Other moms do crafts. Totally. Don't show up with Play-Doh at my house. Mm. And I don't want to paint. That is what my mom is for. She can teach them yeah. all of those things. And I I'm really thankful for her. I really do think that's really freeing. Where like when like you realize as a mom, like, yo, I hate playing tag. But I really like reading books or like what, you know what I mean? It's like, yo, lean into what you enjoy. Now that's not saying that like only ever do things that you enjoy and you'll never have to do things you hate. Cause guess what? If you hate making food for your kids, well, they're going to starve. So you know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, with the snacks, someone kill me. But it's like, it's true. Like, but lean into the things that you really enjoy. And I think that it's okay sometimes to be like, you know what? Like, Mommy doesn't love playing tag. Like you could play with your sister or like wait till tomorrow when we have a play date. Cause like, I'm not playing that with you today, but I'll play something else. Yeah. That's not wrong. No, no. And I think for me being a stay at home mom versus being a working at out of the home mom, um, both are good and both yeah. had really high points and really hard points. They look different. My youngest son, Paul, probably he's cried the six weeks that he was in daycare. Mm. He cried every day until they called me at two, said, you have to come pick him up every day for six weeks. He oh, cried. Really? So it's been nice to stay at home. He just is, has a lot of emotions and he loves his mom. And so that's been really nice that it, the timing has worked. Yeah. Um, but also like I, they're both hard. Yeah you know, in their own, in their own way. And so I Mm -hmm. think it's been freeing to just say like, this is, this is equally as hard as running my own HUD department, you know, like this Mm -hmm. is equally as hard and giving myself that grace of like, I only have two clients and they're my offspring, but that's okay. (laughs) It's just hard as having 50 clients who are experiencing homelessness. It just looks different. And so I think once I realized that we've got a lot, um, we had a lot more good days than hard days. So. I love that. I love that. It's a season. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's awesome. Catherine, what's your favorite snack right now? My splurge snack is once a week, Joel usually earns to go to donuts. He would get to go get donuts. And I get Thai tea. It's that orange tea. It's okay. my favorite. All is it the same I thing as bubble tea? No. Well, yeah, they sometimes put boba. I don't like boba in it. Okay. This, you could also get this at the Thai restaurant, um, but it's an orange iced tea and it's super sugary. So my brain can only take it every now and then. And that's the only caffeine, like I'll maybe we'll have two a month. That's the only caffeine I'm drinking. So it is like, so you're probably a freak. That yeah. Day. It makes you all buzzed. Yeah. Yeah. That's like me. Yeah. If I get a pumpkin cream cold brew. Okay. Like oh, literally yeah. in the fall, like I don't, 
Okay, this is going to be really controversial, but I don't like love Starbucks like that, like whatever. You know what I mean? But I love the pumpkin cream cold brew in the fall. Like I do. Like I can't. I'm sorry. It's amazing. But like I have made the mistake of having my morning coffee and then getting a pumpkin cream cold brew. Mm-hmm. It's too if much. You, I am a absolute freak. Like I am crazed if I have that much caffeine. Like I cannot handle it. Cannot. Me either. I'm so actually delicious. a meaner mom if I've had too much caffeine. Me too. Because I'm like on edge. I'm snippy I'm snappy. Me too. I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh. And I'm like, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Like, it's like, I feel like it gives me like anxiety to have that much caffeine. Yeah. Like it really does. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my, oh my gosh. Okay. So your Thai tea, I got to try that. All right. So that's like your favorite snack. Yeah, I think so. Love that. I love that. Catherine, I love you. I loved this conversation. So fun. This trip down memory lane was just a delight. The and you said you so many wise Colorado, things. Just jump out. You'll land in Kansas and I'll drive you there. Perfect. Done. Love that. Oh my gosh. I love it. Love you. Thank you for doing this. All right. Someday we can record in the flesh. I'll be a part of a sweat episode in my future. That's my goal. Oh my gosh. We're making it happen. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here. See you later. We're doing it. Love you. Love you too. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. <laughs>